Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Are you guys ready? Are you guys ready for the end? And I say the end of Prince's life, but we are talking about 30 years that we are going to condense into this episode from Batman to Prince's untimely death. And uh, I'm excited about it. I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. And, you know, I wish that, you know, now in reading about all of the ways that he truly battled with how his image was controlled and what he was uh, would allow out, I wish I could see more performances by Prince. And that is something that will forever make me sad. Well, at least there are 800,000 of them available on YouTube. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I have been watching those. Hello, by the way, I'm Holden McNeely. This is our... Part three, Pop History on Prince, joined, of course, by Jackie and Natalie. Hey, guys. Hello. And I am excited to to jump in it. We have been, it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me. Oh, I've been battling with my thoughts of someone that is a true genius. And again, I'm not going to keep screaming, get a therapist. But just so you guys know, throughout everything that we're talking about in the back of my brain, I'm begging him to get a therapist. <laughs> And I think that it's put a lot into perspective for me of there are times when you can't you you can't blame a genius for being mentally ill. Right. But he never that's got the I tell help everybody that, about me. You know, that's the thing. You can't but, blame me for what I do. But you can uh you can ask for help and you can at least try to get help. And unfortunately, he did it the wrong way. I'm very ups- I'm very emotional right you now. Are, yeah, yeah, this is you I, so we all sat down. I feel like we all went our separate little ways and did our research. And I came in being like, oh, just so much fun. While my guitar gently weeps, what a great performance. Such a good performance. I came in really sad because I had a revelation at the end of uh, all of the research, and um, it was a sad one. And then you came in, Jackie, just guns a-blazing. I got guns a-blazing over and here. And I came in with like a little a smile and a little tear in my eye of with just so much appreciation for how much joy he brought the world I don't know I and I also feel like I'm a, we're about to give birth to this like information baby and I need to give I am like three months overdue 
And like the doctors are like, I don't understand why this baby's still in this how man's stomach. How are we going to get it out of its penis? We're yeah. not sure how it's going to come out. We yeah, we don't know what where to cut, what and to cut open. And if it doesn't open. have my eyes, I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm getting that baby tested for paternity. All right. So, so for me, it's like a, a, a sense of potential, at least relief, assuming that this is the final recording that we do about the life and legacy of Prince. And I so vastly different energies happening right now. Very very different different energies uh, at the table. I wonder what which energies we'll have at the end. We'll each we're gonna swap. Yeah. All right. We'll play musical chairs, personality chairs. <laughs> I call Natalie. I don't want to be holding. That means you're holding. <laughs> I feel like I'm the most jazzy, uh, hip hoppity, happy boy in the uh, with the toys over here, and you guys are all sad and mad. And it's just like, why be sad and mad? It's a big, beautiful world out there, guys. I think what it is, it's when you Ugh. look at someone that you viewed for such a long time as a, a, a to me, a sex symbol, as someone that you, your, my panties melt off of me when I watch him perform, and to read all of these things. Things about him that are not very nice. It it's a little shattering. Yeah, he wasn't a nice guy. He, wasn't, he wasn't a nice. He also guy. wasn't a, a touchy or a beater, right? It wasn't like a full like molesty. No, it was all psychological yeah. abuse, yeah. and it's the kind of abuse that people can get away with. And he was sure. And it is it is psychological abuse against his partners, against his bandmates, against anyone that worked with him, and that's not cool. I'm upset. Oh, Jackie. <laughs> I'm upset. She gotcha. has stated her truth. It's not it's cool. Not cool. It's I not agree. Cool. I very much agree. But that doesn't mean that we can't love his music, but that does mean we can despise the movie Graffiti Bridge. Well, <laughs> that's for different reasons. It is interesting. Yes, we are allowed to, we get to totally make fun of that movie, Jackie. Also, I think that really is so obvious. Like, essentially, this past week, I've been focused on. His concert tours and the big performance moments. The things that he did to light the world up with his creativity. And your focus has been the secret room. The personal side. In his house. The The Bluebeard's Castle closed door. Yeah. You found the key, but are you, do you regret it? But also, did I find the key? Because as again, we say that Prince, he's a very private person. So all the things that are said, and I will say this. With a grain of salt, because we will never really know because he didn't like a lot of people knowing exactly what was going on in right. his life. For sure. It's true. So this is hearsay. I mean, I'm not going to say that a an ex-wife, you know, is probably not going to color the person that destroyed her in a in a positive light. No. <laughs> um, also, that it is sort of... A, We'll get into that very end of his life, but a lot of the interviews from the people throughout his life who he sort of cut connections with or had an earlier relationship with, they all speak of him in reverent tones, but it's it's in an appreciative way. It's not like we, he was like my, we, we had this great personal relationship. It's always about how they he changed their lives and that he was this otherworldly creature that they were really happy to have known. It was because it was down to a sense of control. He wanted to control everyone around him because he knew he was a genius. And fair, I'll give it to him. Mm -hmm. But controlling every single thing about every single person around him, that's why he would make somebody. That's what what he did with Apollonia from Purple Rain. He liked to make people. And so you're like, oh, on the outside, it's like he is giving them this opportunity. He is giving them a step up. And he would. But the second he was done, 
gun, he threw them away like mm-hmm. a rag doll. Mm-hmm. For sure, but then that Super Bowl halftime is so good. I, so he's so good. He's just <laughs> right. so good. <laughs> Let's get into. We get to start on a weird ass note uh, with Graffiti Bridge, the film that was originally to be a vehicle for the time, who had reunited in 1990 with all original seven members as Warner Bros. demanded the original lineup be brought in to get the company's backing for it. But the time ends up putting out an album called Pandemonium. And after that, infighting causes them to disband. So Graffiti Bridge ends up going fully back over to Prince and is a sequel to Purple Rain. This is the weirdest. Yes, it is weird. <laughs> but also, this is another instance where Jimmy Jam, who's a part of the time and not a made up person, mm-hmm. said that they had gotten, they had procured a script writer. And they wanted to do another record alongside this movie. They asked Prince to get involved with the music part. He said, because we felt it wouldn't be a true time album without his involvement. The next thing we knew, there was Graffiti Bridge. It became his project. And we were just kind of the bit players. I remember standing on the set and going, what a mess. This is going to be terrible. We laughed our way through and had a great time. Because essentially Prince came in and was just like, no, 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 no. This is my thing now. <laughs> and he really, it is, um, yeah, it, it's okay. not good. That was in uh, 1990? Yes. Correct. I think it came out in 90. I believe so, 1991, yeah. Really fascinating, not really a turn away from Purple Rain. It's pretty much the same movie, but it is notable that it's all shot indoors. There's not a yes. single natural scene in the movie. It's all on Southstage. So Paisley Park, right? Yes. Yeah. I would imagine that's where it was shot. Yes. But it's 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 funny that it actually kind of resembles Batman. It looks like the Batman movie. <laughs> but it is ridiculous though because Graffiti Bridge is actually a landmark in Minneapolis that was torn down by the time that the filming began. But why not at least go shoot Close to there, right? You know, right or you right. know, like it, yeah, one it, exterior, just one, one exterior, exterior, just just a still of where graffiti bridges. I know used to it would have, it would have made it feel less like a music video, like a. It, it felt mm-hmm. as though it were an hour and a half. Oh yeah, music video, right, right, essentially. And I, I think also there's something about this storyline which is again it's the same leads from uh his foil is the same guys Morris Day who's a real man. Uh, in this movie, they're still fighting with each other, but they're fighting over a nightclub and they have basically the same problems. And it's a little less charming whenever they're a little bit older and we've already met them all. And right. they're still kind of fighting over girls and it's still pretty creepy. It's real creepy. So Morris, this is what Morris Day had to, had to say as a descriptor of the film. A sequel to Purple Rain is what it ended up being. And the role that the time plays is, well, crooks. In Purple Rain, we were small-time crooks, and now we've graduated to the big time. We own and control this area called Seven Corners, which is really four corners and uh, four clubs, and everyone answers to us. Uh, It's really about the rivalry between us and the kid, who is the picked-on, felt-sorry-for hero. But in the end, he gets the girl, and he beats us with a ballad. He changes our hearts and minds and makes us into good, church-going individuals with a song. And then he laughs hysterically. After they kill her! Spoiler (laughs) alert! After they kill her! Spoiler alert! (laughs) The whole plotline with her is so weird. (laughs) Ingrid Chavez is the lead actress, and she's beautiful. Um, yes. And she's great, but she is not sexualized in the same way that 
uh, Apollonia was in Purple Rain. Are you telling she me no one's thrown into a dumpster in this whole damn movie? Oh, not, oh, not close. Well, I is. mean, it is close. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there's two. They they drugged her twice. Okay. They all okay. Not oh, that man. that's funny, but it's just funny. Unpack. No, it's horrible. Um, so <laughs> apparently, in the synopsis of this movie, I read it that she's supposed to represent an angel who came down from heaven to help them live more righteous lives. Which but, makes sense because she's referred to in real life by Prince as the spirit child. In the movie, both Prince, the kid, and Morris Day, the other, the antagonist, both almost are her. Like, right. Morris Day desperately tries to are her with another dude, and then Prince almost ars her, but then he withholds himself because he wants to are this. No, the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous oh. and it's just, no, it was very, very upsetting um, for for absolutely no reason and Prince says he would survive if Graffiti Bridge is less than a blockbuster. He says, I can't please everybody. I didn't want to make Die Hard 4 but I'm also not looking to be Francis Ford Coppola. I see this more like those 1950s rock and roll movies but I'm pretty sure they don't drug anybody in those movies. They might behind the scenes but they don't oh. Yeah. Do it in the actual. Plot well, of the I will movie. say, after watching Judy, they Judy. definitely uh, drugged those people <laughs> yeah, behind the did. scenes. But uh, don't don't worry, ladies. The film flops miserably. It grosses about four point two million dollars, and the last two members of the revolution. Dr. Fink and Miko Weaver, they both leave Prince's band after this film comes out. he It's like a whole new era for him. Is there anything else you guys want to say about Graffiti Bridge before we move on? Because I know there's you have a decent amount. I actually will say what I, what I appreciate about Prince is that Prince wanted to keep working with the time because he respected them so much. And he did say, because he does believe himself to be a bit of a god in this scenario, he's like, to this day, they're the only band I've ever been afraid of. They broke up because they had run out of ideas, he says. They went off and did their own thing, and now they're terrifying. And I like that I've, I noticed a lot that Prince refers to things that are really good as terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, that's a whole, I'm not even going to unpack that, <laughs> but I also think it's a fun way to say it's like, oh, baby, they're terrifying. I was listening to a Prince live album earlier today, and at one point, right after the uh, saxophonist launches into his sax solo, solo, he's just like, Larry, you're scaring the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I funny. think it's because, um, you know, again, not going to unpack it, it, I will, my only thing I'll also say about the movie is, is that it is visually it's fair there's a lot of silly fun things to see you can watch it and kind of enjoy it um the music sequences are really cool it's and like Mavis watching a bunch Staples of music kills it Mavis Staples does a great oh, yeah, yeah, George Staples. Clinton's in George it. Clinton does a great job like it is fun to see all these people brought in but then you have Ingrid Chavez so apparently it, meeting meeting Ingrid Chavez which he referred to as the spirit child or an angel and her was, name's Aura in the movie yes yeah. was supposed to be the reason that the Black Album was originally cancelled so this is him backtracking backtracking back. It's like no 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 it wasn't all those drugs I was doing I, it's because I met this angel that had fallen from heaven <laughs> the whole Black Album thing is so weird yes so I, then, lo I love the Black Album thing she brought so he had brought Ingrid Chavez to Paisley Park to make this poetry LP titled May 19, May 19th, 1992. And it was a spoken word poetry thing that after they had met that night, he made her come back with him to Paisley Park and was like, no, 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 let's record this poetry album in three weeks from now. So in three weeks, she came back for, with 21 poems 
And she says about it, Prince was hearing my poems for the first time as he played on the synthesizer in the studio. I would say a title like, Heaven Must Be Near, and he improvised as I was reading. It was a moment captured in time. We did the whole thing in one straight recording. So she was another one of the ones that he brought to Paisley Park and was like, let me make you. And then... Put her right. and then, time, and then, and then time will tell. <laughs> so his his new band is now called the New Power Generation, and that is the band that would stay with him from 1990 all the way through to 2013. The phrase "Welcome to the New Power Generation" is said on the opening track of "Love Sexy." If you remember that one, that was the one that was like 45 minutes long, with all of the tracks as like one long track. Yada, yada, yada. Back, he's like very naked on the cover, very pastel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The first tour that they did was the Nude Tour, and that's in 1990. And their first album with Prince is Diamonds and Pearls, which was his follow-up to Graffiti Bridge. And at this point, you have Damon Dixon is just listed as, quote, dancing. Tony M is is in the band as, quote, lead raps and dancing. They ended up actually becoming the Game Boys is what (laughs) Prince described them as. Right? It's like He's, he's going into the mighty, mighty boss tones a, a, a direction is what I'm saying here, as yeah. well as yeah. a lot his of brass, people dancing around. <laughs> his brass section is called the Horn Heads. It's a lot bigger. There's more of an emphasis on rap. This is, by the way, I guess to frame the whole thing, too, this is really, I feel like, the darker years for Prince. Like, Graffiti Bridge doesn't set the world on fire. It does the opposite. I think it's starting to make him look like a little bit of a laughing stock. And we're just about to get into the love symbol thing. And that, I remember that when I was growing up. I remember that when he changed his name to his symbol, that was when I think largely people started maybe picking more fun at him as opposed Mm -hmm. to looking at him as this icon. Which really just fueled his anger because he didn't want people, he didn't, he never wanted, he's a very serious person. Yes. And what I actually like about what he was doing with the new power generation, which was the same with what he had done with the revolution in Purple Rain, is that according to Tommy Barbarella, who is the keyboardist of new power generation, he said his whole idea was of a band as a gang. That they were going to go and kick some ass. We want people to be scared when they see our equipment, is what Prince said about it. Hmm. During the Purple Rain tour, the revolution will go out to clubs in their stage clothes, and we did that too. He loved to go where another band was playing and take over. That's the closest thing he got to family or friends. Yes. So this was him, again, and I think, talk about a darker time for him, of trying again since he dissolved the revolution He's very alone, and it, it's got to be this struggle for him between wanting to be alone and wanting to be in control of everything, but being so desperately lonely and wanting friends, but also friends that he could control so he yeah. would me- make a band out it's of It's very them. interesting. It's actually not too dissimilar to this friend group in the sense of work is love. And for me, so much of my, I have to make such a special effort and I always begrudge it up until I'm actually having a good time with my friends in a social situation. I have to make such an effort to do something outside of work with my friends. When I see Jackie and I hang out, it's over podcasts, it's over Twitch streams and things like that. You know what I mean? And when it's not that, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I made plans. I just want to sit in my pajamas. So I kind of get that a little bit, even though you are just like Prince. You I say like this Prince. all the time. I'm, I'm just, just like Holden. Like I'm sorry, Prince. I'm sorry. The artist formerly known as Holden. Well, I mean, my, my <laughs> dick. Okay, I will be. To be fair, my dick is a little bit bigger. But other than that, I think that I'm pretty much one to one with Prince. But okay. although when all 
all these things. Did you ever see an outline of his pants? Like, was he packing heat? <laughs> I don't know. I don't because know. Sometimes I mean, the short a, dudes usually pack a good you. amount. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he took a lot of lovers. I would feel like if he had a micro penis, one of them would have said something. Also, he, he has the confidence of somebody with a massive That's the penis. Thing. Yes. If you pretend like you have a, a giganto, then you will. That's just the way it is, guys. Manifest um, it. It's the Napoleon complex. Yes. He has a lot of that going on in his life. Shall we get into the love symbol shit? Oh, he has to throw a tantrum. He's throwing a tantrum. I'm sorry. I shouldn't make fun. I'm making fun because I've been upset. This I mean, is the part. I, he, I respect him very much, though. I really do. Right. Like This is insane. This is the part, I will say, where it is, it is kind of warranted. Where ever I rem- again, I remember the general public response was just kind of like, "What are you doing? What do we have to call you now?" So here is why, though. At least we can explain why he did what he did. And I really had no idea until this past week's research. Me neither. I, I was totally. I was like, I always just thought he was. Oh, it's Prince, just being the crazy artist, do, trying to do something to change his image or make a splash in the news. But no, this actually had to do everything to do with tensions between him and his label, Warner Brothers. So Prince pleads with his label. Uh, there was a specific label ally he went to, Mary Lou Badeau, to let him release new music even while they are promoting the previous album. He just wants to keep releasing. Badeau said, I would tell him that it was counterproductive, that people can only absorb so much music from one artist at a time. His, his answer was, what am I supposed to do? The music just flows through me. It is just this prolific point in Prince's career artistically. He is just putting so much shit out there at least he is recording so much shit and he wants to put it out there and the studio and I understand both sides of this to be honest with you the studio on the other side of it is like please we need to properly promote this music if you got to put one album out uh, at least a year and then let us do our jobs and get that music to the world if you put out too much stuff it just overwhelms the audience it's overload it's too much and I, I get that but at the same time I also get the idea of like hey if I have this work and I want to give it to everyone one, then let me fucking do that. You know what but I there, mean? But there are rules for a reason. And also, at the end of the day, he signed a contract. Yes. He did sign a contract because he never shied away from how many times they would give him money up front to make things that he they wouldn't ask for a script that would flop. That he would take the money. Like So taking the money wasn't an issue. Yeah. And I guess that, that is where I'm just like, well, because it does suck. You're right. He should be able to do whatever he wants to do, which is why, in turn, we will get to it. He creates his own record company. Yeah. But because if you have that kind of money and you want that kind of control, then you need to have the money to make your whole world, which is is what he was essentially trying to do. This is a wrestling match that's old as time with music labels and their artists. It's it's a push. It's the same with producers and directors, everything. There's always a power struggle. It's hard. And he also did change and open up a lot of doors for future generations of people that now know that you can own the masters to your music. You can go and fight. And that's what I'm trying to focus on with all of this, because I did it out while reading it at first. Immediately was just like, they're having a tantrum. But he wasn't. He was really fighting for what was his. Mm. But at the other end of that, this is, and we'll keep doing the push and pull. This is the contract he signed. This is with Warner Brothers and Chapel Music. They He signed a, 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 a contract for six albums, up to one release a year, for $10 million, a $10 million advance per album, and 25% of the royalties, 
which also um, made Paisley Park Records a joint venture with Warner Brothers as opposed to like a vanity label like it was before. But it just it, it I this is the part I don't get. The, the timeline of when he signs this contract and when he starts to regret having signed the contract. It all seems to happen at once. It's almost like he signed the contract and then he immediately is like, oh, I hate this contract. It's like, but you, I, you it seemed like he had just signed it. Anyway, Go to a therapist. Go to a therapist. Yeah, I mean, As it's... a manic depressive, I get these up and downs. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, I maybe completely understand. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it was like he signed the contract and then they were like, we have demands from you. And he was like, no. I don't, I don't want do it. I want the money, but I don't want you controlling anything that I do. So Gary Stiffelman, Prince's attorney, had this to say. He really wanted to release the music in a way that was inconsistent with the contract. He wanted to put out an album whenever the urge struck him, and it could be a three-song album or a 70-song album. And, uh, yeah, and I think really it also just came from his resentment towards Warner Brothers that they owned his masters. And it's- at least... Yes. Spoiler alert, there is, there is a, a light at the end of that tunnel years and years later. But until then, it, he's reacts to the tensions in what is one of the strangest moves an artist has maybe ever made, a musician has maybe ever made. He decides to change his name to a symbol, which would later be copyrighted as Love Symbol Number 2 in 1993. And is also referred to as, he becomes referred to as the artist formerly known as Prince. However... One little stipulation on that. He always just wanted to be the symbol. He never wanted to be the artist or the artist formerly known as Prince or any and of that And you stuff. could not refer to him as that to his face. Mm-hmm. He would not. And uh, what I like, there was a quote of, I believe it was one of his drummers, when people kept asking, oh yes, it was Tommy Barbarella, the keyboardist of NPG. He said, so what did Prince's musicians call him? And Tommy Barbarella said, hey man. I wish yeah. I had a dollar for every time someone asked me that because they knew that they weren't allowed to call him the artist or the artist formerly known as Prince. But what do you say? You have to refer to him as something. They just say in like bra or like yes. I, from what I read. Hey they man. just say what's up, man, bruh, whatever. You know though, t- Diddy made the transition and he did it. He got did. People to change. He did. He did. He 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 releases his twelfth album in 1992 called the Love Symbol album with the symbol in question huge on the cover of it. The album is, by the way, this album is fucking bonkers. It is a quote rock soap opera according to Prince and is about an Egyptian princess who gifts Prince with a religious artifact who is later grilled by a reporter played by Kirstie Alley in these weird in betweener skits. It's it, actually I, a pretty fun album. <laughs> I don't know if you listen to it. It's a little. It is pretty yes. insane. But- I did I actually dug it a lot. I dig a lot of this stuff. Like, honestly, I really, even at his worst musically, I think there's some really good shit always. That's like the most impressive thing about this, especially this part of his per- career because it's so prolific. So that I must have been like, I was like, oh, there's got to be like tons of clunkers in here. And every album I put on, it wasn't Purple Rain, but it was like a damn good funk album, a damn yeah. good rock album. Another thing I really like about this time period with him well, really, all of his time, but he liked to make almost he almost liked to make things a like treasure hunt. Yeah, sometimes he made it complicated to get his music, or he would put stuff out and then pull it back. Which I don't know if we're going to talk more about the Black Album, but he did try to put that out, and then he decided it was an evil album, and he pulled it out. And it could be I don't know if this is something between the tension 
of him with Warner Brother, but Warner Brothers eventually put it out in '94. They did. They used it as a as a way to be like, this is going to be one of our albums because you already gave it to us, so we're going to put it out. So they put it out in '94. Yeah, essentially as as part of the make good to fulfill his contract because we did talk a lot about the Black Album last episode. Yeah, but yeah, the, for the, they still are sitting on that, and it's still just this incredibly popular bootleg. Because throughout all of the 1990s, Prince releases 15 albums, and only five <laughs> of them were with Warner Brothers. Yes, mm-hmm. it just is insane. His 15 albums. <laughs> one of <laughs> my one of my favorite factoids is his management had to send out floppy disks with a special font <laughs> to journalists for them to use in publications. That an actual that had the like the symbol. <laughs> yes, like this is think about how much man hours. It. How much materials went into this name change? Well, they had to go to a full, uh, a um, what is it called? Like a design company to yeah. make this symbol because it's a fusion of both of the gender signs. It's yes. male and female intertwined, fused by alchemy. This is how Prince chose to identify, not as a man in the traditional sense, but as an androgynous glyph that signified beyond the structures of gender labels or even language. So this is, I mean, this is a statement. Beyond the fact that it is just, oh, I want to release my own albums under my own record label. This is a statement of that he is saying that he is he does not identify as either gender. And he also wanted to give a lot of emphasis towards the women that he worked with in his life. And particularly at this time, it was with Mate Garcia, who would eventually become his first wife, as well as Carmen Electra that were working with him at this point in time when I'll get more into his relationship with Carmen Electra a little bit later but he wanted to make sure that the feminine quality of his life and that those elements were also very strong in the forefront of what he was putting out. I will say that this is the kind of difficulty being a difficult person that I like this aspect of (laughs) yes I've changed my name to a symbol you guys figure out how everybody's gonna put it on their print I don't care. Except you do it. for the fact that he would get so angry and pissy when referred to as the artist or something right. like that. That was, I feel like if I was going to do something like that, I would still laugh if you try. Like if I just went as a lion symbol oh, sure. that, you know, I did like a Snoop Dogg, but don't even go with Snoop Lion. I'm just lion. No, I like If you the- called me Jackie or said, excuse me, Mistress Lion, I'd be like, I'll <laughs> still respond to that. I, I like the side of it that he makes all the middle management have to do extra work. Yeah. Not the part about him being mean to like his yeah. family. So it was created by graphic designers Mitch Monson and Liz Luce. Apparently Prince just uh, they, they asked them, to. he makes the request for the astrologically inspired sign symbol. He then comes in after they've mocked up a bunch of them and apparently just very quickly chooses a design of theirs. And according to Monson, the one you see now was almost untouched. We did very little adjustment to that particular mark at all. So I just love, too, that he was just like, yeah, that one, whatever. Prince said, Sounds good. Prince said, I always, I wanted to move to a new plateau in my life. And one of the ways in which I did that was to change my name, to sort of divorce me from the past. But I think the past is really just Warner Bros. 100% here. And it's also, this is a common thread in everything that Prince does, that he doesn't want to look to the past. He doesn't want to think about the past. And also in the press release, Release, he had stated, Prince is the name that my mother gave me at birth. Warner Brothers took the name, trademarked it, mm-hmm. and used it as the main marketing tool to promote all of the music that I wrote. So he saw it, which is why, which will lead us into the time period that I remember as a kid when he would perform with the word slave written yes. on his face. At the 1995 Brit Awards, 
he accepted an award there, and in his speech, he said, Prince in concert, perfectly free, on record, slave. And so that's why he starts doing that. And also it was, had to do specifically as well with his masters because he had said, if you yes. don't own your master tapes, your master owns you. Mm-hmm. It's all about ownership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this is when things get really complicated when it comes to album releases and Ooh. what he's trying to do and what they're trying Cranking to do. Cranking them out. The other thing he was really trying to do was to create a symbol so that he could release records under the symbol moniker and records under the Prince moniker so that he could release the music as he wanted to, which was constantly and aggressively. (laughs) It's mind scrambling just to think about doing this. (laughs) Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So what he wanted was for the albums, the gold experience, he wanted that album to be released under his symbol moniker at the exact same time as the album Come released as Prince. The album Come had a bunch of darker material on it and a more challenging material on it. The gold experience had had the pop, more like commercially viable stuff on it. But I actually wish that the labels let him do this is I think that would have been a really cool move. Releasing both at the same time and having them compete against each other as like as if they were two different musicians. Almost yes. like the internal battle that he was facing. 24-7. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it, it, uh, the gold experience, of course, featured the most beautiful girl in the world. That was written for Maite as well. It, it came out sometime before the album actually came out. And I think that's one of the elements you were talking about, Natalie, in terms of like how he released things almost secretly. It came out as like a weird uh, EP release. I think it was also just slipping again, slipping one past the goal. Like I think I uh, sometimes what you think maybe intentionally being this like smoke and mirrors artist, a lot of times was literally just him trying to figure out how to slip on yet another ball past the goal. The Warner Brothers goalie was this the time period whenever he uh, had the toll the toll free line. This that's not just yet. Oh, this sorry. is actually We're at the same time there. period. Another I'm thing. I'm excited for. <laughs> Another thing that he was working on at this time, talk about slipping things, as many things in under the radar as humanly possible. In eight, in late 1989, Prince had opened up a, an, a club called Glam Slam in Minneapolis. And then around this 
period of time this is around like 92 93 he he opened up glam slam east glam slam west and glam slam yokohama so he had clubs stance clubs in minneapolis in miami in los angeles and yokohama japan because he wanted to showcase minneapolis and the minneapolis sound and the minneapolis scene but he said that so many people didn't realize what it actually entailed that he wanted to bring it to their town and it was a huge thing at the time that Steve Edelson, the Los Angeles club's co-owner, described Glam Slam's West aesthetic as being entirely Prince's vision, saying that they worked from a sketch made by Prince. Set designers, artists, and carpenters labored all day and all night to bring it to life. But what he was doing at these clubs is he was creating this stage show called Glam Slam Ulysses. And this was the production's plot was loosely based on Homer's The Odyssey and featured live actors and dancers interacting with pre-recorded videos. Naturally, the piece was soundtracked by 13 Prince songs. This is where he had the relationship with Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra would perform cage dances in a cat costume at Glam Slam <laughs> West, and this is how they worked out the what he wanted for this stage show that he wanted to unveil. He said a group of sirens donned skeleton bikinis with skulls protecting their breasts and finger bones <laughs> curled over their genitals. The thing is, is where is this show? I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. Each Monday, Prince would send Jamie King choreographer a selection of unreleased songs. The choreographer was then expected to develop an entire routine That's by that shit. Friday. Performances would take place at Prince's Club Glam Slam. Over time, these segments would evolve into one all-encompassing show. So he's doing this while releasing multiple records at a time, while creating a whole another complete persona of the artist formerly known as Prince, the symbol. I mean, it really does go to show that all of the, the, the stories that you read about the fact that he never slept, he must never have slept. Yeah. And also that at the time, like this was much more sexual and explicit than the, the symbol guy. Right. Right? Uh -huh. Like that was much more related to like... Uh, joyous, yeah, joy, spirituality, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, faith, things like that, and uh, yeah, absolutely. And then he's got skull girls. And he's got skull girls, <laughs> and he wants to make a stage show. He wanted to have a huge, I think, over time, probably a Broadway show. Right. So, okay, we've got Chaos and Disorder is the final release for Warner Brothers, and was uh, the least commercially successful. I put it on. It is like. Not, it is grunge almost. Yes. It's like if Prince put out a grunge album. It's not, again, it, what's hilarious about all this, if it's anybody's uh, anybody else's album, it's like their best album. But if it's Prince, it's like, one, uh, you know, down in the, probably on the bottom of the list here in terms of his releases. But uh, yeah, it, it, it fulfills his obligations. It's a very angry album. It definitely is a very much like going at Warner Brothers a lot. Um, and also in 1996, it gets re we get re even darker. We get very sad here. Also in 1996, Prince gets married to the dancer. What's her name again? Maite, Maite. Garcia. <laughs> and this was also right after he had proposed to Nona Gay, Marvin Gaye's daughter. Oh, right wow. before he started dating Maite. And then I think he's immediately been engaged a number of times. Oh, yes. A lot. Because we also talked about they got him and Sheila E got secret uh, yeah, engaged. Yeah, what I did engaged. Know. Well, I did not know that he proposed to Sheila E on stage during a performance of Purple Rain. Yes, which she I got, actually she got and staged guys. Yeah. <laughs> 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 guys. I like guys. that. <laughs> um, so 
So back in 1990, he actually saw her at age 16 standing outside of his tour bus and said, there's my future wife to singer Rosie Gaines. He was 37 and she was 22 when they got married. And that same year, and this is where it gets really sad, she gave birth to a boy named Amir Nelson who suffered mm-hmm. from Pfeiffer syndrome, which is a rare genetic disorder that affects the skull. And the baby passed away just a week after being born. And they would end up, of course, uh, even getting divorced in 2000, largely due to the stress put on by the relationship by this event, as well as a miscarriage that she would suffer not too long after that. And also. And this is on top of the fact that he gets back when he gets back from their honeymoon in Hawaii, Paisley Park, he got back from the honeymoon. He was closing down Paisley Park and he let more than 100 people go. He fired the new power generation mm. and then and then just w- kept on going. He just immediately, he came back and got rid of everybody. Then he lost the child. So he then, this is a spiral downwards. Ah, yes. Uh, This is when things get really, really dark for him. By the way, I read an anecdote about how he went on Oprah with with, uh, Matey. I'm so bad. Matey. He went on Oprah with her, told her not to say anything about the death of the baby. There were rumors already at that point, but nobody knew anything. They knew that they just knew there were health issues there. But he made it seem like everything was fine and even took Oprah into the nursery that they designed <sighs> for the ba- the baby is passed. He takes her Oprah into the nursery and just talks to her about like continues the interview with her surrounded by all these like baby toys and things. It's very odd. I it's, don't think uh, I could even watch that video. That's oh, haunting. yeah. I, I only read about it. I didn't look it up because and that I think has- it was just a couple of days right before that interview that that Maite had another miscarriage as oh, well. Oh, my God. So on top of it, it was just, so he, it, again, the mental illness, you know, that I think that he had to separate himself almost from what was happening. Mm-hmm. Right. That it was, that even just the fact that everyone was confused of why he had that Oprah appearance because he didn't like anyone to be involved in his life at all. Mm. And, who knows? Maybe it was a break that was happening inside of his brain. Maybe he just needed to put on a persona that everything was going just fine in order to almost force his brain into that space because in reality it was so dark. Yeah. And maybe that Oprah interview had been planned for a long time. And yeah. I, even somebody who is very sane, whatever that means, <laughs> it takes a minute to process the death of a yes. your baby. Oh like, my God. A few days after it happens, you, Plenty of people would not be able to explain that to somebody else. No. Guys, this not, is fun. Yay! <laughs> this is um, the darker day. This is probably the one of Prince's darkest times in the trajectory. We're covering his life. It has to be talked about, but it is rough. Another dark thing at this point in time is the Prince interactive CD-ROM. Because, you know, it <laughs> yes. wasn't a good idea. And this was around the same time. Everybody made CD-ROMs during yeah, this dude, era. Yeah, do you remember Wu-Tang did it? And yes. I, I remember so I, got the, had, yeah. I got the Wu-Tang one, and you got to go into everybody's different rooms in the 36 chambers. <laughs> That's and- what he did in his, on his CD-ROM. <laughs> oh, is that he it. let you explore a virtual incarnation of Paisley Park, and among other clips, you could listen to six full songs, some of which were previously unreleased, watch four exclusive music videos, and remixes of some of his music. So you know funny. what? It didn't go very well for him. So another blow to the self-esteem. You know what would go really well? 
an LPN CD-ROM. Oh, I think we need to okay. Let's like, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Yes. Yeah. But we'll make but Henry go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've t- of course Jackie and I have talked about doing the LPN dating sim, which I, I would love which to do I would love point. to do. Uh, so, anyways, we, let's go back to now. I mean, on the brighter side, Prince is finally freed from the chains of Warner Brothers, and he he has his big comeback with a thirty-six song three hour long oh album called God. Emancipation. He's not working through some things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? He's making a bunch of songs. Yeah. He's doing good. He releases that through his own label, NPG Records, which of course stands for New Power Generation, which Prince had established back in 1994. Uh, this is also the first time he actually did covers on an album with tracks like Joan Osborne's One of Us. Ugh. What if God was one of us? <laughs> what if God was one of us? Is that, that the song? song? Oh, yeah. Is that That's the, one the song? He, yeah. Oh, oh my God! She I was one of the OG the, manic oh pixie dream girls. <laughs> yeah, man, just a stranger on the bus, bro. Yes. And actually, Prince is sort of a manic pixie dream boy. Yes. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Look at that his doe eyes. That's the thing. <laughs> Even in Graffiti Bridge, I can't look away from his eyes. No, and he <laughs> rocks. Off the shoulder sweaters in that movie. Just I like wish a that I could. I mean, well. this is even after reading the stories because I was reading Ma- uh, Maite's book. And even after the stories, Prince saw some whipped cream and cookies at Garcia's makeup station. They weren't hers, but concerned about her dancer's figure, he docked her wages. Oh, my God. This is while they were married. <laughs> I wish that my husband cared that much about you my You know health. what? Maybe that's maybe you should ask Henry to start doing to it, start counting doing your calories. Yes. <laughs> I should be so lucky. <laughs> In 1998, he puts out a five-CD collection of unreleased material called Crystal Ball. And this release is a little nuts. He's trying to release music now through his website as well as retail. It's it's a little too DIY. And as well as calling on the phone, Natalie. Okay. 1-800-NEW-FUNK. Yes. <laughs> I miss these too. This is another 90s thing that happened. Do you guys remember? This is really related to Prince. Um, do you remember whenever we had the opportunity to choose the new M&M color? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. And then you had to call in, and there was like three or four options that end up being the blue ones, which to this day still exist in M&M. Yes, and but they are delicious. They're more delicious than the other ones. They are. Um, we got guys who weren't uh, alive in the, or, you know, were too young in the 90s. We chose that. We called in, and we said, we want blue M&Ms. Yep, I mean, we I'm were allowed to have control. pretty sure I've did the toll free and called in as well. Yeah, there was a lot of call in stuff around this time. And Prince was actually the first artist to sell albums directly to fans on the internet. That is with Crystal Ball. But that being the case, because of that, uh, all of like the pre orders through his website were not getting fulfilled until months after the album went on sale in retail stores. Especially because he completely self financed all of this mm-hmm. because it was supposed to come. Two year, it was supposed to be sent to you in an actual crystal ball formation. <laughs> yes, that yes. he had had all of these ideas of what what they could get if they just call the phone number. If you just call one eight hundred New Funk, and all of these opportunities will come right to your doorstep. But what did people get? They got essentially it was just a CD case, except instead of it being in a square, it was in a circle. <laughs> well. They fucking, they take it and they should love it. Appreciate it. What was frustrating is if you didn't pre-order it on his website, you wouldn't get one of the discs that was supposed to be included in the set. Like if you went and bought it from retail, I believe, and I could be, it's so confusing that I could be wrong, but I believe it's disc four, which is, was sold separately at one point called The Truth. 
and that is comprised of songs all centered around the acoustic guitar. It's a very stripped down thing, and I, I really do love stripped down prints, not just clothing wise, but also musically. I think it's but fantastic. also stripped but down prints. But absolutely, this is around the same time that I got very excited because this was my introduction to Prince. Really, okay. was when he was on Muppets Tonight. <laughs> now, Muppets Tonight was one of my favorite shows. The reboot of the Muppet Show. I loved it too. And please look up the segments of Prince, and this is the Prince that I know and love. So Kirk Thatcher, writer and producer of Prince's episode, recalled, we were very excited that Prince had agreed to do our Muppet comedy and variety show, but had been told by his managers and support staff before we met with him that we must never look at him directly or call him anything but the artist. As the writers of the show, we were wondering how we were going to work or collaborate with someone you can't even look at, especially while trying to create comedy with puppets. <laughs> what? what oh, and what you will remember, and if looking at it, this is actually what made this such a monumentous performance for him, which I'd saying something because I know it's just Muppets Tonight, was that Prince had a willingness to poke fun at himself. In the episode's opening yes. skit, Prince arrived at the studio lobby and conversed with the show's security guard, Bobo the Bear. When the grizzly guard asked for the singer's name, Prince looked directly at the camera, smiled, and said, This is going to be fun. Which, that's great! That's still, it's wonderful that he does like a whole like country bumpkin song with them. And at one point, um, when a band of Muppets dressed in Prince-inspired fashion welcomed the musician on set by singing Delirious, the rocker wryly smiled and informed them that his leather and lace look was over. I just, it's fun. It's like a fun side of Prince that I feel like in reading all of this stuff, I was forgetting about and I needed to remind myself and, of and these he, things. He totally has a track record of making fun of himself. One of my favorite moves that he did was in 2013, he released a single called Breakfast Can Wait and he used co his cover art for that single was Dave Chappelle as him yes. from the Chappelle show, which I love. Like, I, I think he was always down to poke fun at, at his own well, Speaking of impersonations of him, the... For, I remembered the first time I was familiar with Prince was from In Living Color. Mm -hmm. Jamie Foxx does an impersonation of him. Uh, he's basically doing a, like a mock commercial for <laughs> buttless jeans by Prince. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I'll post, I'll post the video. Please on do. Uh, so now we're in 1999. Prince signs with major label Arista Records and releases Rave Unto... With the number two, just I'm gonna I'm not gonna specify this every time because he does this constantly. He uses numbers instead of words and stuff like that. Rave unto the Joy Fantastic, which fe features guest stars such as Eve, Gwen Stefani, Cheryl Crow, Chuck D, and Ani DeFranco. How 1999 can you fucking get Damn. with those featured artists? Uh, and in the liner notes of the album, he put a message in about the cruelty to animals in the wool production industry. And I know Natalie will appreciate. He's very much a fighter for animal rights and he was very much uh he went from i think vegan to vegetarian throughout his life but he was always very conscious of that he was a clean liver yes all that good stuff but not a clean liver you know what i mean like yeah no he didn't no, have no, no, a no. clean liver not after yeah. all the pills yes which is oh. like i i feel like there's such a safe to be cracked open about the drug use that we just don't get a very much of and even the the fact that how much of a shock his death was and we'll get there obviously in this episode but how much of a shock it was and how they still don't know where he got what he got 
the like the fentanyl from and everything. I mean, yeah. it's just so Which crazy. It's insane. I mean, even down to the fact that there's a, a I have this later on in my notes, but Morris Day, who from the time and from all, all of his movies, he said about drugs and Prince. He's like, my introduction was early on with drugs. I had my bout. I went there at a time when my body was still able to rebound. His introduction <laughs> came much later when he was older and didn't have the stamina to bounce back yeah. from it. I just wish, because he was such a clean living individual, I feel mm. like, dude, I kind of wish you went through it with me so you could have had that shit in your rearview mirror. But the, right. I've been there. I would have been able to at least tell him the monster that he was up against. The problem, though, with that is Morris Day was partying. Oh, Prince yeah. was yeah. Coping with pain. It wasn't like he was yes. going to clubs right. and getting groovy, and, and probably using it to just to sleep at night. Right. Yes, you know, right. and and that's just such a different way of uh, approach to drug use. Yeah. So, uh, so in therapist, maybe you need to at least at least see a therapist. <laughs> so he puts out a pay per view concert called Rave Unto the Year 2000 on New Year's Eve of 1999, which consists of footage from his tour dates earlier that month. Oh, my God, guys, you remember when we thought Y2K was a thing? Oh, yep. we, uh, I watched the, yeah, I watched the um, so- South Park Marathon. And I was like, <laughs> well, if there's a way to go out, it's while watching South Park, because that's what 12-year-old me really thought. <laughs> I was uh, old enough to be hammered. Ah. A few years older than you, so right. I was just very drunk. I believe I, <laughs> I was care. as well. Actually, I think that was uh, that was a rough one for me. But I will say this: uh, I will say we are about to approach the whole Jehovah's Witness thing. I know a lot of people are curious about this. I was definitely curious mm-hmm. about this, and it also makes sense now too in reading about it that it comes with. The change back from the artist formerly known as Prince of him living as a symbol. This is now finally because the the contract is over. He did all the shit he needed to do. He goes back to being Prince. And what he also goes back to finding is God. And that is a huge part of why he uh, became a Jehovah's Witness. I'm actually going to go ahead and say, barring some factoid from you guys, I I am coming at this from the perspective of I kind of like his relationship with Faith, to be honest with you. Like, I don't have a big issue with it. We'll talk about it. I don't know if he did some stuff, though, that was, like, awful. I do know he knocked on a couple doors, which I do find to be a little intrusive. But if you open the door and Prince is there to talk Prince, to me about God, but you then would he was just trying to to, you'd listen. God. You would definitely <laughs> it'd listen. So, it'd be so exciting then immediately fall, following <laughs> like, that. Oh, you'd be fuck. so bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have another cup of tea, Prince? Honestly, I'm out of tea. I really got to get to this doctor's I gotta appointment. Go, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so he fully drops the love symbol moniker on May 16th, 2000, stating in a press conference after his publishing contract with Warner had expired that now that he was freed from the bad relationships in proximity to the name Prince, he could now go back to using his real name. He was uh, so he was actually raised, going back to his childhood, a Seventh Day Adventist, which is apparently not too too far off from the whole Jehovah's Witness thing. Except mm-hmm. for the fact that Jehovah's Witnesses literally follow the words of the Bible. Ah, yes. that it is actual. There's no interpretation that they they find they follow the approach to the New World Transcription of the Holy Scriptures, which is a revised Bible that was released in 1950. And he did the whole thing. I heard somebody describe him going to the church. And he was that dude with the Bible with all the sticky notes poking out of it, you know, going Mm. over, asking questions and going through stuff as much as he was actually really shy in church, which I guess makes sense. He was very shy in general when he was in large groups of people and not performing for them. So 
in 2001, he marries Manuela Testolini. They get divorced in 2006, just as a little side note. And it's around this time that he becomes friends with Sly and the Family Stone bassist Larry Graham in 2001 as well, which started a two-year-long religious conversation between them. Uh, Prince said, I started studying the Bible once I changed my name back and started studying with my good friend Larry Graham. He helped me to just look at the Bible in a very practical way, to cut through all the dogma. I just wanted a clean, simple approach to it. Now, this is a, uh, the, the marriage of Manuela Tessalini is actually a big part Please. of him because it is the same year he got divorced from Maite. And Maite said that I think Prince thought that because we lost our two children, our two babies, that I wasn't the one. That this was actually very religious to him from uh, perspective God of why he That's needed rough. to leave her and to marry Manuela Testolini. Now, Testolini was also a Jehovah's Witness that he met because she became a consultant for his charity, Love for One Another. Love for One Another is something that keeps coming back. This phrase is something that he used to have a website called Love for One Another that he took the name of the that was the website that you could only buy his music from for a little while and he created his charity organization out of it now again prince was i wouldn't say even when it comes to familiar relationships he was not a very good dude what he was was a huge humanitarian Mm. he was very active of being a humanitarian and part of being a jehovah's witness is not being allowed to discuss your humanitarian ways you're not supposed to speak publicly about any of the good acts you do yeah, he did it. It was all like anonymous donations and Which stuff. Which I think right? is really amazing. But yeah, I love, cool that. I love that. Is that he worked with his wife at this point in time that everywhere he went, wherever he was performing, he made sure that there were huge charity functions happening while in the town that he would perform at. And I love that. And it's, which is odd. Like, you can it's do like, that without being a Jehovah Witness. I'm just. Oh, for sure. It's like, but what's cool is that he never wanted to be about him. He wanted it to be about helping people. And he was big with children in need. He really wanted, he worked in empowering women. I would say, I would definitely recommend the album, The Rainbow Children, if you want a good perspective on this phase in his life. I think it is actually a very beautiful spiritual work. I I put that album on and I'm like, God damn. Again, if this was anyone else's album, it would be like, wow, Holden McNeely's The Rainbow Children. I mean, it's the only good album he he put out, but it's so damn good. But for Prince, it's like it's lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? As you guys are talking about this Jehovah's Witness like transformation, it really wasn't his first struggle with figuring out no. Whether he was religious or not, that happened throughout his career. And yes. I'm, I'm sorry I keep going back to the Black Album, but yes, it's, it's I fine. found I so much it. about it this week and it's so <laughs> fascinating. And like when it was about to go out, he decided that it was evil. And so I think we probably touched upon this last week, but yes. at the, like a week before it was supposed to go out, he pulled it off the shelves and he decided like Camille, his, his female right. alter ego. Yeah. So whenever, if you listen to that album, it's really weird and there's this song on it called Bob George. Yes, Bob George. He It's Prince, and you can barely recognize that it's him. Because as Camille, you could tell it was Prince, and it didn't really sound to me like a woman. But with this uh, character, Bob George, it doesn't sound like him, and it sort of sounds demonish. I believe he called it Spooky Electric, and it was this alter ego of his that, lived that, inside that of came him. out of Camille yeah. that w- scared him. Like freaked him out. Yeah. And I really think that is a representative of the internal struggle he had with 
God and the devil and what he considered that to be. And as far back as that, the religious aspect of him was it, he struggled with it. And right. according to Sheila E., she had said about him, when I first met him, he believed in God. But after that, there was a time when it seemed like he didn't believe in anything. Mm. But then he became a witness, and I felt for him that believing in something was better than nothing. Yeah, and I like that And he needed this to strengthen him. But what a part of being a Jehovah's Witness is that they believe that bringing souls to God is the most important thing. So what? he would do is that according to his private chef, Margaret Wetzler, he had a floor-to-ceiling stack of Bibles and he would give one to every guest that came to Paisley Park. Now, Morris Day had was still working with him up until this time period. Ah, And there was a point when he had said, Prince asked you to return to Paisley Park to record, only to ultimately turn you away when you declined his second request to become a Jehovah's Witness, right? Mm. This is what the interviewer asked. He said, I came to Minneapolis to record music. That's why he had me there. Then all of a sudden he's telling me, you're my brother. I can't record with you unless you're on the same page as I am. So we're not going to do music unless you're willing to come to my God the way I see God. That's force feeding. And that's what Morris says. So Mm. he also, on top of this, again, it's another shedding of the people around him that were from his past in moving forward where he said, well, if you're not going to accept my God, I'm not going to work with you anymore. And it is also representative of like that sort of cultish religion, like a Jehovah Witness. No offense, but... That's where I draw... that. I also draw hard. the line there. It's like, I can't... Yeah. Oh, man, you, you're, I almost like so love what you're doing here, but... That's when it gets a little rough. And especially if that's for you. If that's what you need, Prince, yeah. to sure. feel good about yourself, to, to, that is what you need, and that's your belief. Have it. Feel it. Love it. But don't force anyone around right. you to well, do it. it. Yeah, it's like a very Scientology kind of thing where mm. you're, if you don't subscribe to it, then you're an S, you're a suppressive person, and you ha- you cannot have that person in your life anymore. And especially when he said, uh, the, one of the in this same interview, he was also asked if he thought that he was trying to, that if Prince was trying to redeem himself for years of sin by being so overtly sexual, was it shame related? And what he said was, when I was there, he was having the parties and all these young ladies would come in scantily clad, half naked, and he's telling them, you'd need to put some clothes on. I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're the reason they're half naked in the first place. <laughs> yeah. It was weird to watch that transformation. Mm, it is, I've, especially I've, if you I've, watch Purple Rain. Yeah, Apollonia is nude the entire <laughs> Movie. He rubbed on her pussy. <laughs> it's graphic, sexy Cinemax. You couldn't have even played that on Cinemax in the nineties. Well, at least they weren't showing up dressed like dumpsters. What are we talking about? <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, let's move. Let's move on to Prince and his wild, wonderful relationship with the internet. One thing Yikes I do love low. about him I, is that he does really try to take advantage of whatever the fuck is coming his way. Rap's mm-hmm. big. All right, fine. I'm gonna incorporate rap into my music. Uh, you know what? Whatever it is, like synthesizers, of course, back in Purple Rain, it was all about the new technology. So at first, he has a cool relationship with the internet. In 2004 alone, by the way, he releases four separate albums of music, which is just too much. And he starts <laughs> he starts really engaging with his fan base at this time, which is amazing. He's using the NPG Music Club, which was his official website from 2001 to 2006. It had a monthly membership price of $7.77, because the religion thing probably, which got you at least three new songs a month 
a free one-hour radio show hosted by Prince and other NPG members that featured music, commentary, and skits. And also, the pricing and, and offerings would change over the years. They they it's like they Patreon, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But eventually, which is kind of fun, when they had changed it because people were so upset because the, the, the site was so traffic heavy in the ticket section that Prince instead lowered the membership price to two fifty a month or $25 for a lifetime membership. Don't make it even easier for people <laughs> to get on there. That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Because he didn't really, I don't think he really got the internet yeah. at the time, but he was but trying. But he was trying, which I love. And uh, the he won a Webby Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006, won a mini Lifetime Achievement Awards that we're going to talk about. Wow, the Webbies were around then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Right, isn't that nuts? Wow. So uh, also he's engaging with fans in other ways. He would do pre-concert sound checks where he'd be like communicating with them. He would do yearly, quote, celebrations at Paisley Park. And he would do studio tours as well as discussions with fans and music listening sessions with fans as well. Uh, and some of these were actually filmed for an unreleased documentary by Kevin Smith. I really hope he puts that out at some point. Yeah. I guess he oh. was there recording stuff. Um do you have anything else to talk about this time in the internet before I get into the While My Guitar Gently Weeps performance? Let's just, let's roll her let's right along, baby. Roll, baby. So also in 2004, and by the way, maybe while you're like listening to us talk about it, you may just want to pop the video on YouTube uh, just right now and check it out. It is just- It's insane. Ab- it's astounding. It's incredible. I just love it so much. So Prince is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2004, where he performed as w- uh, in his own set, as well as in a tribute to George Harrison with the song While My Guitar Gently Weeps, alongside Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, and others- and he just rips the fucking doors off the place. He comes in. It's like right at the end of the song, he comes in with this solo. Producer Joel Gallen said, they never rehearsed it, really. They ne- never really showed us what he was going to do. And he left basically telling me, the producer of the show, not to worry. And the rest is history. It became one of the most satisfying musical moments in my history of watching and producing live music. And these are these are amazing these are amazing performers all on stage together. And actually the people on stage, including Tom Petty and everybody, they didn't know if Prince was actually going to show up on stage. So when you see him come out, you can see the look of surprise on them because he because Prince told the producer that like don't worry, I'll be there. I'm gonna, I'm going to do it. You don't you don't need to know what I'm going to do. But they also had absolutely no idea if he was going to show up or not. So when he comes on stage, you could just see them like it's a relief, but also like, all right, let's right. fucking go. That, see, again, that that's the kind of difficulty I like. That's fun. Like yes. You make a bunch of the middle management guys sweat <laughs> up until the very last second. That's my favorite. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Uh, the legendary, the late great Tom Petty said, you see me nodding at him to say, go on, go on. He just burned it up. You could feel the electricity of something really big's going down here, which is so cool. Um, yeah, I just, I love it. Also, if you see at the end of it, he literally throws his guitar up. You have no idea where it went or who caught it. The drummer said something along the lines of like, I still have no idea where that guitar went. <laughs> it just disappeared, apparently. Like, <laughs> but he literally just throws it up in the air. It doesn't come back down. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Don't worry about it. It goes to the <laughs> angels. It goes to one of his many angels that are the women that are around Aura him. caught it. I hope so. It was a bit of a nod to the magic of Prince because, and and we're about to get into the Super Bowl performance just a bit. But, uh, and the Super Bowl performance, one of the things I didn't write down was a quote about how they were looking at him and the rain is pouring down and they're just like, there's no rain on him. He's not, there's like a couple (laughs) of droplets on his shoulders and like a light mist kind of, but he doesn't look wet. No, because he's ethereal. (laughs) He's elusive. He's ethereal. He is otherworldly. He's He's not magic. He's not magic. Again, he's a jellical. Do you have anything? He is a jellical. And he's about to go to the whatever it's called, the between me nots or whatever the fuck they call it. (laughs) Yes. The between me nots. So uh, anything before the Super Bowl performance? Let's just, no. I mean, we've got 10 more years. (laughs) So, no, I'm good. <laughs> okay, so I'll try to make this as quick as possible. I know I, I have uh, quite a bit on this. I'll, no, I'll, I also have quite a bit, because how can you not? This is, it is the, the greatest Super Bowl. It is the greatest. Halftime performance of all time. And everyone says, if you look it up, everyone's just like, there, it will down. never be topped. It will. This is it. I love one of his bandmates uh, was like, yeah, every year I'll watch to see, like, can they top it? And every single year I'm just like, no, we're still on top. (laughs) Especially with how difficult he is. I guess not difficult. He does it his own way. He does it his own Prince way. And that he's like, all right, fine. Because they, I'm sure, had asked him many times to perform at the Super Bowl. And I imagine every time he said no. But in 2006, he finally said yes. So I will say there is an oral history of his Super Bowl halftime performance that everyone should read if you're curious about it. It's really comprehensive. I took some of these quotes from that. And honestly, I don't believe so. So this is kind of what happened. Like, at first, uh, it was Michael Jackson, I believe, and stuff like that, right? Then, I believe, MTV took it over and up until the famous nipple rip of uh, Justin Timberlake Ugh, and don't Janet say Jackson nipple fame. rip that hurts nipple my whatever the, the fucking breast situation breast gate yes uh, which nipple. was dumb and I think way overblown but then they freaked out a little bit and they froze up and they were like alright we're gonna get like Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones to make the boomers happy and it'll be safe and all that good I'm glad the boomers are happy <laughs> with Prince they were like okay he'll he'll be great for like a wide variety of audience um, he kind of fits both molds. He's got a little bit more. We're looking for a little bit more edge again, but he's got, you know, he's still like old school. So apparently, um, and by the way, this is uh, her performance is February 4th, 2007. Before the performance, 
The producers of the halftime show go to Prince's house for dinner. Prince pulls out a portable DVD player after dinner, just at the table, and then, and just starts watching different halftime shows and critiquing them and just being like, this is what I would do, this is what I wouldn't do, that kind of stuff. And the producers finally just ask him, well, how w- exactly would you do it? And he just leads them upstairs to a room in the house with the whole band all set up, gets his guitar, and just turns to him and says, hit it. And then they just launch into a private show for these producers. Just fucking, fucking rock the doors off the place. The producers mouth agape, they all said, essentially, in course. We were like, we could Our mouths were just to the floor. They just were like, all right, great. You should definitely do it. And they just, like, walk out of his house completely stunned, just, like, ready to go. Um, Morris Hayes was his music director and keyboardist. He said he said he wanted, Prince, that is, to do the greatest Super Bowl show ever done. He just said, we really want to think about what we do and not be like everybody else. We kind of sat in the studio and talked about it. He's like, I like this Foo Fighters song and all along the watchtower. He just started thinking about the show and piecing it together in his head. Well, that's why I like, according to Shelby J., one of Prince's vocalists, he said, and the way his mind works is he wanted to be about the music and not do what everybody's expecting, like come out and play Raspberry Beret and yeah. Little Red Corvette and then go into Kiss. He was paying homage to Ike and Tina Turner with Proud Mary and Queen. And then he mixed his music into that. It's like, no, it's not about me. It's about the music it's about this moment yeah and and he he also i feel like wanted to just put on like an actual 12 minute concert for everybody like like this is me at my height like this is what 12 minute prince concert is as opposed to being like here's a medley of all my old hits remember raspberry beret yeah exactly so i think and i think that just really upped the ante on how powerful the performance is so but usually they do a press conference before the show and uh because prince doesn't do interviews he was just like you know what I will just do a. I will just play music for them instead. Now I love this fucking story because I love this is it. again Prince playing around and having fun. And all throughout the Super Bowl thing, they're like, "What people don't understand is Prince is a clown. Prince is silly." Like when the producers went and to to get a review of what he was going to do for his set, like. Uh, weeks before the Super Bowl, when they came to his house, he was wearing like a yellow, like weird suit, and he said he was wearing those like little kid shoes where the the little rollies, and he was like skating around his house and stuff, and like sneaking up on people and being you know like and like tapping him on the shoulder. They'd be like ah, like he was. No, just, I like, read a lot of things that apparently he was a big <laughs> prankster, but I think it had to be on his own terms. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, it had to be completely that he chose to be the prankster. Yeah, he is the one doing it uh, when the way he wants it to be done. So at this press conference, Hayes said, his uh, keyboardist music director, once again, Prince, being a master of just stirring the pot and really doing something different, he had said, we're going to have the press conference, but just be ready for anything. And so we was like, okay. We knew that he knew that uh, he was going to do something. So Prince gets up there with his band in front of the performers, and he says, we hope we don't rock your ears too much. Contrary to rumor, I'd like to take a few questions right now. And then someone from the crowd, we possibly somebody that Prince planted in the crowd, get just shouts, Prince, how do you feel about... And then he just fucking launches into Johnny B. Good. By the way, you can watch this whole thing. He's in this room full of press people. They're all sitting down, bewildered. He just fucking rips into Johnny B. Good. It is so <laughs> sick. If he, like unbelievable sick rendition of that he plays two other songs it's like incredible the press people don't know what to do like they're just sitting there like what the fuck 
Chuck. He's got his whole band. He's got the twins at this point, by the way, who are a smoking hot identical twin duo that were had great, beautiful voices and could dance like crazy. They're just fucking going crazy. It was amazing to watch. Definitely check that video out as well. So cut to the day of the game and, of course, the halftime show. It is pouring down rain. Everyone's freaking out. Prince is literally the only one just being like, do not change nothing. That's what he's, don't change nothing. The stage, by the way, has to be rolled out in 48 separate pieces. If you've seen the video performance, you should look up the performance right now. But if you've seen the performance, it is a giant love symbol number two. It is uh, 48 separate pieces and 624 volunteers have to roll it out and connect it electrically in the race. A cable, by the way, at one point when they were coming out, a cable was severed and a lighting crew guy named Tony Ward stripped the insulation off the cables and inserted them into a plug raw. And he Jesus hit, Christ. And, and, just, and held it there for the entire performance no. to keep the lighting rig working. He probably would have died if that fucked up. What is he, the baby from Adam's Family Values? I did, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly what it was. Uh, the performance happened in 12 minutes over... Uh, for over 140 million television viewers. I love this quote. This is from Nathan Vasher, the cornerback for the Bears, who played in the Super Bowl that year. The last two or three minutes, I peeked out of the tunnel. I didn't want to go all the way out there, but for two or three minutes, I got to witness greatness. I haven't experienced that greatness again, which I think is amazing. Uh, And uh, the, the the reason why I think this is such an important moment, the last time Prince's biographer met with him in person... He said, Prince said to him, I was thinking we could start the book with the Super Bowl. What it feels like to get to that moment. So, like, this clearly was, I think, for him, this, like, peak moment. And if you rewatch it like I did earlier, it is fucking just it's beautiful. the best. It yeah. is so good. It is so flawless and incredible. And it's pouring down rain during Purple Rain. It's just so amazing. Uh, his personal assistant slash manager, Ruth uh, Arzat, said, I was like, you made history. And he, Prince, was like, I always make history. Which I think and is like this amazing <laughs> Technically, I guess, worth a man's life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he wasn't fried to death. Speaking of uh, 2007, that just happens to be the time when I was in my mean girls phase where (laughs) I hung out with a big clan of girls who were just partying all the time. I mean, it sounds like fun. (laughs) It wasn't. It wasn't not fun. Uh, But there we used to have this ritual of like we'd be somewhere together getting ready and we play music to get, you know, pumped up. And we, we went through this phase of playing pussy control all the time. And it's definitely one of those songs he didn't want people to hear anymore. I don't know what, why his Jehovah Witness people wouldn't like the song Pussy Control. But uh, I do feel like it did make us bigger monsters. Hell we yeah. get pumped up by that song Hell and then yeah. just go out and just wreak havoc on cities. And I regret nothing. <laughs> I mean that is what the music was for That's why That's all of early Prince That is, And to middle Prince That's what he intended He wanted to make monsters out of us mm-hmm. In a fun sexy way Yep So now we are uh, just in an onslaught of albums That can best be described as Please God Prince slow down As a person <laughs> trying to do research on your life You've got Planet Earth Please stop it Lotus Please. Flower 2010, all all of this stuff coming out. 
Um, around when does he have his weird fallout with the internet, Jackie? Well, I, I would say that it starts around 2007. Okay, just to just like right after he stops his website, essentially. Then yes, you know, this, it, it, all of it stopped. Like he was at the forefront of so much on the internet, and then immediately he's just like, you know what? Why don't we take a break here? And then he said that. It's really important for him to keep the spirit alive in the age of technology. So an interviewer had asked him, you don't use computers? And he said, I do, but I don't let computers use me. It's more interesting to me to pick up a guitar and create a sound out of thin air. That's analog. We're analog creatures. We breathe air. We hear sound waves. We react to spirit He's and color. A computer's binary. That's the thing. He's not the king of synth. Synthetic music. What are you talking about? The Minneapolis sound. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, you guys just don't understand. And this is also the time that he wants to reclaim his art on the internet. So he starts uh, essentially a bunch of legal action against YouTube, against eBay, against Pirate Bay, which I haven't thought about oh, in a good man. Oh, time. Oh, Pirate Bay. Because they were using his music <laughs> in an unauthorized fashion. Probably the most notorious manifestation of that was when Universal, which owned the publishing rights to Let's Go Crazy, filed action against Stephanie Lenz for uploading a short video of her children dancing to the song. Good. So they even sued this young mother that had posted just a video of her little kids dancing to it. Having fun, loving life. I I think for me the most notorious, or at least the most hilarious one, is when he headlines Coachella in 2008, and by the way, he's paid over five million dollars for the performance and i remember when this happened like i remember reading about this like at the office well, or whatever Sheila e and shit were with him like yeah. all the big, i think yeah. jimmy jam was there but i had no day. idea what it meant at the time no. and now in research i'm yeah, like oh, that's huge. yeah okay. that would have been amazing oh now it makes sense so he covers radiohead's creep and this cover is posted to youtube and of course he goes after youtube and all these upload sites trying to get it taken down forcing it to be removed and radiohead fights back they're like i want to see i want to see the damn thing much less <laughs> everybody else else and it gets it re-uploaded saying it's our song let people hear it and i love that i it's, love that, that. Is funny. <laughs> and i remember laughing about that oh yeah and he had really influenced radiohead because then radiohead also was big into not letting people stream their music and mm. doing that whole kind of thing as well that again this is another way that prince was really opening the the control back to the artists of reminding artists that this is yours. Don't let someone come in and use it if they're not paying you for it. So I, I respect that so fully. But even back then, it was a bit of a laughing stock. Remember when Metallica did it? Like, yes. like oh, just let uh, us listen to it. What do you what mean? Napster? Mood. Napster, baby. Napster? Um, yeah, what a crazy, what a what a ridiculous. And I remember Radiohead memorably put in rainbows out on their website and just said like, just give us a couple, but like, give us what, uh, give us nothing. It was we'll a just pay what you can, pay what you can thing. And it was like such a cool movement. And now, of course, we have Spotify where you can listen to all these albums we're talking about. By the way, it's fantastic because Spotify got back uh, the whole album of Prince, but that was from his estate though. So this it was mm-hmm. an allowed thing. This is also so now Prince is also getting even 
I don't want to use the term crazier, but he's getting more intense. <laughs> hey, let's with go what crazy. People, I mean, let's go crazy. And I think that maybe he did. Maybe that he was, it was just that was before this part of it. Um, he even was closing down fan websites that people were opening for him that he wanted to remove anything on the internet linked to his likeness, which included photos, album art, even images of Prince-inspired tattoos. Mm, he man. took it all down. He wanted it all gone. It's just such an odd Does move. He, do you think he would try to get people to slice off the skin that they put Prince tattoos <laughs> on? I, I mean, I, I, I hope not, because I, I think I know at least three people with Prince tattoos, so I hope <laughs> that they still are able to keep them. Cool. Now, in 2010, he famously told the Daily Mirror, the internet is completely over. I don't see why I should give my new music to iTunes or anyone else. They won't pay me in advance for it, and then they get angry when they can't get it. So he said the internet is over a long well, time there ago. There are still some of his albums you cannot purchase on iTunes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but they're uh, they're on YouTube. So yeah, yeah, no, you can find one. them. You can get them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the only thing that I wasn't able to find on Spotify was actually the Black Album, which you can get uh, that way. So he also in 2010 he gets a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2010 BET Awards, and he's also inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame that year as well. I mean, he's really like I I feel like the Super Bowl really put him back on the map in a huge way he's doing all these performances all over the place he's just putting out all this music i think he's he's back in good form with people even after this internet stuff is happening around the edges i think for the most part people have really re-embraced him because of that um and i I, now i have up to in 2014 so if you have anything before him getting back together with warner brothers please say it now this is also around the time when he this is part of being a jehovah's witness was Hmm. a they are not allowed blood transfusion. So this is also in remembering that towards the bizarre. end. Yeah. Right. And towards the end with like, so he probably most likely had a painkiller addiction throughout all of this part of it. Okay. He was denied a, he denied having a hip surgery mm-hmm. that he desperately needed. He was in so much pain. And this is starting about 10 years at least before he died. That makes so, sense. Because, this, I mean, he was dancing constantly in those high, high heels. heels. Yes. And if you watch him perform, it is it, it is like he's floating. It's really impressive yeah. what he does. The splits. The way he does it, I don't even know. I, I, I forget even what I was watching. He, did, he jumped down, did a split, and from the split, jumped it back up while playing the guitar and onto a chair and then, like, did this, like, twirl thing off it while singing <laughs> And perform like playing the guitar. <laughs> no joke. As a dancer, watching him go from the ground to standing just by sliding up Woo! is is that's so crazy. It's insane, Woo! and that would eventually hurt your hips, especially oh. if you weren't like probably weren't taking the best care of your body twenty four seven. And this is also around the time that he had created another. It was a three girl group called Third Eyed Girl that was part of his. They were part of his backup dancers, singers, but then he created a, a, their own group out of it. And Welted, who was a part of Third Eyed Girl, said he's made comments like "You guys are more family to me than my blood relatives." Mm. So again, this is another creation of family for him that he needed around him at all times right. and but at, talk about it when he he used to be elusive and private now he's even more so because then we later on learned that he is hiding addiction to whatever pill 
that, I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit. Opioids but, and, you know, painkill, you know, it's anything I think to numb. But it was just bottles everywhere with a bunch of people's different names on them because there was, like, all these prescriptions written to people uh-huh. around him uh-huh. that pills were mixed in the bottles that oh, he man. had no idea what he was taking. He was just taking them. Yeah. And, and this is utterly speculation. This is just a thought I had. And I don't know how long he was taking painkillers. We None of us do, but... I do wonder if there is partly a justification of becoming a Jehovah's Witness that he could continue to take them because he would not be able to get surgery. Mm. I do think that he would sometimes choose to manipulate his life into what he wanted. And I don't there's no proof of that. But it is it is curious that he went to a religion where. He kind of had to justify his pill use. Right. I mean, right. and he did say that he, the reason why he kept taking the painkillers once he was eventually found out is that his hands hurt so much and his hips hurt so badly that he would have to stop performing. Mm. So, the, I mean, again, like, I think that there has to be some validity to that. To- because totally. Jehovah's Witnesses, they aren't allowed to really get much medical care. They're not supposed to. No. Like, the, you just they, I don't the think they're supposed to be on pills, though, either. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I think you can... Take. Be- but you know, like with a lot of shit, you, on the outside he can't get surgery because people would know. With pills, he could hide it. Exactly. Right. So, a little bit of a happy ending for the label thing. In 2014, he resigns with Warner Brothers after 18 years. He resigned he with re-signed Warner with, Brothers with the promise to release a remastered. But it was so that he could get his masters. I mean, it was I like know, his lifelong yes. thing of wanting to get his masters. So it was a trade deal. He would re-release, or rather release a remastered deluxe edition of Purple Rain, which is out, by the way. I believe it came out in 2017 or something like that, to celebrate its 30th anniversary in exchange for ownership of his Warner Brothers recording masters, as I just said. Um, and that was like a huge thing. I'm, I'm glad that, that that relationship was mended. I mean, that, that seemed shitty. Um, another cool little side note, after the death of Freddie Gray in 2015, largely believed, a guy largely believed to, uh, to be killed due to police brutality, which led to riots and protests in Baltimore. Prince releases the song Baltimore in tribute to Gray and also holds a tribute concert at his Paisley Park estate called Dance Rally for peace he get, tries to get everybody there to dress in gray and come out and wearing gray bandanas and he also did a special concert in baltimore to raise money and awareness for uh, po- uh against police brutality and things like that and what's going on this was definitely a, around the time of black lives matter i feel like almost is it or i it guess is. It's a little yeah. Bit, yeah no it is it I, is sorry I, I get my years a little foggy at this point but no, he gave lots of money to yeah. uh trayvon martin's family yeah. and like he was again another uh, un- anonymous benefactor that he would he was huge in black lives matter it's hard yeah. to remember that black lives matter occur- uh, occurred before the era of trump because it feels like right. the last four years have been a thousand years yes yeah um <laughs> and but all of this existed before the chaos that we are in currently. yes so he releases Hit and Run Phase 1 in September of 2015 and Hit and Run Phase 2 in December of 2015. And that would end up being his final album. His final tour is called The Piano and a Microphone Tour, which sees Prince stripped down to just that, playing uh, starting at Paisley Park with some, like, essentially warm-up shows before moving to Australia and New Zealand and then coming to the U.S. And it is on April 7, 2016, that Prince postpones two performances at the Fox Theater in Atlanta due to influenza after seeing a family medicine specialist in the Twin Cities and performed his final show 
though he was not feeling well on April 14th. So this is like in early April when he was like canceling shows and things like that. His personal chef, Ray Roberts, told police Prince was eating less, losing weight, and didn't seem Mm. good. Mm. Now, at this time, another one of Prince's protégés, Judith Hill, had said to investigators that he had been exhausted on his way to Atlanta, even telling her, oh, man, I love sleeping more. Maybe it means I've done all I'm supposed to do on this earth, which Mm. definitely alerted her a little bit of, well, you know, that's not what you're supposed to say when you're feeling (laughs) good. Yeah. So while flying back to his home on April 14th, I believe, or after, I think it was an overnight flight, he becomes unresponsive. And his jet makes an emergency landing where he received Narcan, which of course is used to reverse an opioid overdose. He becomes conscious and against all medical advice, of course, because he's going to do it his, his own way, he leaves. And he's literally seen the next day bicycling around Minneapolis, shopping at a record store. Uh, he claimed he was feeling fine. He even went to a dance party that night. And it's it's on April 20th that Prince's representatives called a California specialist in addiction medicine and pain management asking for medical help for Prince. Well, and this is a big, yeah, a lot of this came from Kirk Johnson, who okay. was Prince's, not only his good friend, but his bodyguard. And he was the one that had hooked him up with the doctor that eventually got sued that was giving him all of these prescriptions. Now, Kirk Johnson, he never meant any harm, which is why after this happened on April 14th, he was the one that personally was calling addiction specialists to to have to have someone come in to talk to him because he was so it, he was his bodyguard and he had no idea that he was taking as many pills as he was and he just kept saying how did he hide this so well well it's it's actually probably safer that he was getting the pills from that doctor because the problem mm. didn't come i mean it was a horrible addiction but the you know that he I, I, you're going to get to this, I guess, with the pills, but yeah, yeah. You wanna, if you want to talk about the, the, the death on yourself. So at 9.43 a.m. on the 21st, there's a 911 call requesting an ambulance for Prince, and the caller turns out to be the son of the California specialist who's there to treat his opioid addiction. Prince had been found unresponsive in an elevator and was pronounced dead shortly after the physicians arrived due to an overdose on fentanyl. And fentanyl, again, I just cannot stress enough, like, it's actually very dangerous right now to be doing um, even MDMA drugs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl is killing, is this massive killer in the United States, and Prince's death was one of actually the big eye-opener deaths when it comes to fentanyl. That wasn't really a common known drug at at that point. And I could be wrong because I haven't been doing a pop history on Tom Petty this whole time, but I'm pretty sure Petty as well, actually, which is so sad considering that performance of While My My Guitar Gently Weeps. But again, it is a fentanyl thing. Fentanyl is so scary, guys, and it just... Just want to throw it out there. Like, it is so dangerous right now to get street drugs like uh, ecstasy or whatever the fuck it is, you know, because a lot of that Coke, stuff anything, I think. Cut with it. Yeah. yeah, and it's just an awful time right now for for the, that sort of thing. So there's an investigation as to who got him the drugs, but the investigation ended in 2018 with no criminal charges filed, which is just so brutal, again, to not even know where he was getting this stuff. Right, How, and that's what yeah. I was what, what I was mentioning about the doctor. At least if it was a doctor feel good, they were coming from a pharmacy, and he was right. probably just getting 
this pill was from a friend of a friend of a friend. Right. And there was everything I've read. There wasn't any indication that he intentionally took fentanyl. That there was no indication that anybody intentionally gave him fentanyl. He but just again, ended up with the pills from somewhere. It's gonna be one of those where if you're in that much pain, I mean, you're just gonna take whatever the fuck you can get to relieve yourself of that. Yeah. And to be found in an elevator, just so brutal. Okay. I would really like to just that right now mention this is why I was sure feeling sad earlier. <laughs> this is um, just sad. So. In his book, The Beautiful Ones, he started with um, his co-writer and didn't get to finish. He does have a note in there that says, when he's talking about the song Let's Go Crazy, and I did mention this last episode, it's one of his biggest, most um, dynamic kind of party songs. You've probably all heard it. And the lyrics in it say, are we going to let the elevator bring us down? Oh, no, let's go. Let's go crazy. He, in that song, considered the elevator rep to represent the devil and mm. going crazy is God. So to him, that was a really uh, spiritual song, even though it's a party song. Mm-hmm. He died in that elevator. Ugh. And so it could be symbolically to say that his personal devil was the drug addiction hmm. and it took him. Yeah. The devil took him away at the end of his life in that, broke my fucking heart yeah to think about it that way but it is really crazy that that song is about life and death and it talks specifically about an elevator and that's where he ended his life yeah that's really weird too yeah yeah so his ashes were placed into a custom 3d printed urn shaped like the paisley park estate in 2017 prince's estate signs a distribution deal with the universal music group to put out unreleased tracks from his vault Warner Brothers also worked with Prince's estate to release material and both made a deal with Sony Music Entertainment to distribute in uh, distributed starting in 2021 the first release posthumous to his death from the Prince vault was the album Piano and a Microphone in 1983 and I listened to it before I came here and it was so beautiful Um, it's just really great it's just like him and a piano doing like Purple Rain, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell. It's just, again, it's all on Spotify. I cannot recommend this enough. It is just absolutely beautiful. Um, So definitely check that out. He also, Tidal was releasing stuff in 2019. The album Originals was released exclusively through Tidal, but now you can get it all on Spotify, which is all original versions of songs he offered to other artists in the past. And in 2019, the album that I actually got my brother for Christmas on vinyl, uh, 1999, was released in a super deluxe edition that includes 35 previously unreleased songs and two live concerts. How many times have you told us that you got that for your brother? I got it for my brother for Christmas. It's really expensive. (laughs) Uh, It was like so expensive, too, and he loved it. And he took a picture with it and sent it to me. you reminded us because I was like, did he get it for his brother or did did he he end up getting it for his brother? I just couldn't I couldn't go to sleep last night because I couldn't remember if you got it. Well, I'm just saying he was um, mean to his ex-wives. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I would also I would like to say there are a couple fun things you can look up that he did like some of his last appearances and performances that are mm-hmm. really fun. Or if you remember Arsenio Hall at a short yes. revival and Prince Woo. No, like, what is his? Woo 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 The dog pound. The dog pound. The dog pound. I don't know. And Prince was one of the first people to reach out to Arsenio and say, I want to be on your show, which was 
really sweet. And so he did a very rare interview with Arsenio Hall in 2014, which is really fun to watch. And it's hilarious because the audience is so excited that Prince is there. He says any of the sentences he says is immediately followed by like three minutes of applause. That's great. He's not saying anything. He's just like... (laughs) Just being a dude. Uh, yep. And I loved playing guitar on that one. And yeah, then everybody's like, like, the, like he's saying the deepest thing in the world, um, <laughs> which is fun. Then also SNL had their 40th anniversary show mm-hmm. in 2015, which is a really fun thing to watch. But they had a big after party and there's cell phone footage from that that's up on YouTube. You should look up because it's um, Prince is playing their after party and it's like a private thing and they didn't air it. And it's him on stage with like a hammered Maya Rudolph. She is having the best day of, of her entire life. It's so cute. I love and, it. and he starts his song by going, Dearly inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> um, super fun. And then also, one of his weirdest decisions towards the end of his life is that he, we mentioned it before, he made a cameo on New Girl, which mm. is a comedy. Um, Mm -hmm. that I I like and I watched at the time and he just does the only acting job he's really ever done in this show because he liked the show and he went on and he plays it's a really funny episode you should totally check it out he played he acted alongside an angel in Graffiti Bridge Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean mean, besides being the kid but yeah it's so bizarre that he his one cameo is in The New Girl The New Girl won't do anything else except for The New Girl which you know what and he, yeah. and Muppets, yeah. and he plays himself in it, and it's very funny. That's great. But there's a little stinger at the end of that episode where they all call him magic. And I don't. it was definitely like when he was not there. They shot it, obviously, like maybe weeks after they shot the Prince episode. And I wonder how he felt about that, because yeah. they all call him magic like six times uh. at the end of the episode. <laughs> I mean, if we didn't know it, I would assume he wants to be called magic. I know. Uh, oh my God, guys! I think we're about done talking about Prince. Is there anything else to say before we close this tome up? Well, the only thing I've definitely learned is that you have to, whether you, no matter what, go out and get a will right now yes, because Prince yeah. did not have one, I need to and do they that. are they they are he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> you guys need to stop by saying get a will, get a will, <laughs> make sure you have a will, plan your death. It's ripping his whole family, even though he had such a weird relationship with his siblings, their whole family's ripped apart because. They want it, and, and no one knows where it's supposed to go to. I would, if if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to just read a quick passage from the co-writer of The Beautiful Ones. His name's Dan Pipenbring, and I'm sorry, I'm probably saying that wrong. <laughs> if you don't mind, I want to read just a little bit about, he wrote, instead of finishing the book, he the first half of the book is him describing himself meeting Prince and the interactions that he had with Prince right up until his death. And so... Prince would basically just, when they were deciding to work together, would just call him and say, like, I'm going to fly you to Minneapolis tomorrow and you're going to stay for two weeks. And he would just have to go, okay. And then he would just summon him from different places and tell him to come there. So at one point he was in Paisley Park and he got a call from one of the assistants that Prince wanted him to come out to a private dance party slash movie night at Paisley Park. And so it says... So he writes, on a stairwell railing was the grill of an old car, the same one from Sign of the Times cover. 
And most impressively, two massive projection screens were broadcasting Barbarella on repeat. Twin versions of Jane Fonda, 30 feet tall, strutted around a foreign planet in form-fitting future wear. There were whispers that Prince might join us that night on the dance floor, such as it was, but he never appeared. Instead, Moran, his assistant, slipped off to return holding a bundle of our coats and announced that it was time for the movie. I thought this was the movie, I said, gesturing at one of the writhing Jane Fondas. Oh no, she said. We're seeing Kung Fu Panda 3. <laughs> Apparently, Prince regularly arranged for private after-hour screenings at the nearby Chanhassen Cinema. We headed over in two cars and found a lone attendant in the empty parking lot ready to unlock the door. Prince arrived just after the movie began, slipping into the back row. Moran, he asked, is there popcorn? She went out to fetch some. We watched as the animated panda ate many dumplings and relegated evildoers to the spirit realm. I heard Prince laugh a few times. As the credit rolled, he rose without a word, skipping down the stairs and out of the theater, his sneakers shining laser red into the darkness. And I felt like that was a really good representation of who Prince is. Where he's just really mis- fucking weird. He's a mysterious, <laughs> yeah. He's a mysterious figure. He's kind of like a child. Yeah. He has this sort of sexy side to him. He's got the Barbarella dance party happening, and then he just has everybody go out to a movie theater in the middle of the night and watch Kung Fu Panda three at his demand. You know, and he shows up, has a good time, and disappears before he talks to anyone. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, that is a great way. That is an amazing I way to end this because I feel like there there have been highs, there have been lows. It it, it is what an interesting creature that we were graced with on this earth of ours. Absolutely, that is our episode of Pop History. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and uh, oh my God, what else can we even? How, how do we close this? Out? I just say uh, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. Check that out. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. This is where you can find me, Jackie. And you can find me on Instagram at Jack That Worm. And also now you can find us on at page 7LPN. Yes, that's right on Instagram. And um, I'm at the Natty Jean. And we're going to revive our TikTok account. So Hell yeah. We're gonna, like, I feel like that's a threat. <laughs> All right. Take care, we everybody. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.